The father of one of two teens suspected in three murders is fighting to see video documenting what may be his son's final wishes. And... Because it's a nice place to live. And the housing they're offering is garbage. Why, despite an eviction notice, nearly a week later, most campers at Oppenheimer Park are staying put. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, I'm Colleen Christie. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with a disturbing story on Vancouver Island. Police in Parksville investigating a fatal hit and run. Early yesterday morning, a man's body was found lying in the middle of the road. As Kristen Robinson reports, it's hoped witnesses in the neighborhood will help police find the suspect driver who fled the scene. The peace on a Parksville street shattered early Saturday by a hit-and-run driver. I heard a bang outside, and I thought it was at the corner of the street, somebody, you know, uh, hitting something. It happened at 2.40 a.m. outside Sylvia Hansel's bedroom window. About 2 o'clock uh, in the middle of the night, uh, the flashing light in my bedroom uh, kind of woke me up. Police say a woman driving on Hearst Avenue at McMillan Street discovered a man's body in the middle of the road. The suspect who struck the 32-year-old Parksville man, leaving him to die alone. Just shakes everybody up and, you know, you just feel so bad for the, for the family. RCMP encouraging anyone with information, including the suspect, to come forward. My thoughts is uh, that it is pretty heartless. He better come clean. Uh, I think that would be the best thing for him to do or, or her. Turn yourself in or else you'll, you will never live with it. With surveillance cameras in the area, it could only be a matter of time before the evidence catches up. How they can drive away, I'll never know. I just never know how they can do that. Kristen Robinson, Global News. His son is one of two teens alleged to have murdered three people in northern B.C. this summer. Now, Alan Schmigelski is fighting to see video his son, Briar, purportedly took, detailing his last wishes before he and Cam McLeod killed themselves in Manitoba following a nationwide manhunt. Grace Key reports. More disturbing information surrounding the pair who were once at the center of a nationwide manhunt. Before Briar Schmigelski and Cam McLeod killed themselves, Briar recorded video that's being described as his last will in testament. Now his father, Alan, has hired an attorney in hopes of gaining access to the video. He is very upset given that his son and only child um, has met such an untimely uh, fate and he is uh, simply seeking to get some emotional closure in this situation just like any father would. It hurts a lot. He was my only child. I never get a hug him again. Attorney Sarah Lehman says the RCMP sent her an email that was leaked to the media. She confirmed its contents. RCMP writing the video describes how Briar wanted his body dealt with and that the information was passed on to his mother, the next of kin. Yes, there's some indication that Briar's mother was able to view the video. However, my client has not been given any access to it whatsoever. 
in spite of his requests. Schmigelski and McLeod are charged in the death of UBC lecturer Leonard Dick and suspected of killing tourists, American China Dees and Australian Lucas Fowler in northern BC last month. After a three-week manhunt, the young men's bodies were found in northern Manitoba. An autopsy revealed they shot themselves. Well, at this point, the RCMP is not willing to give anybody access to that video as they have deemed it to be part of the ongoing investigation. The RCMP have not responded to requests for a comment. Lehman says they will continue to explore their legal options. Grace Key, Global News. Coquitlam RCMP are asking for help finding a missing woman, and there is concern for her well-being. Police are searching for 27-year-old Shannon McDonald, wanted on a B.C. Mental Health Act warrant. She was last seen on Friday in Port Coquitlam. Shannon is five foot three, weighs 237 pounds, and has short, dark brown hair and hazel eyes. She has a pierced lip and a tattoo on her right wrist. If you know of her whereabouts, please contact Coquitlam RCMP. Sunshine Coast RCMP are searching for a missing kayaker after discovering a new clue in his disappearance. Jesse Ferrand was last seen taking his kayak into the water at the bottom of Roberts Creek Road on Monday. On Thursday, police say guests at an Airbnb near Powell River noticed a blue kayak on the beach. They thought it might have fallen off a boat, but contacted RCMP after they learned Ferrand was missing. Police believe it belongs to Ferrand. There's been no sign of him or his paddle. Sunshine Coast Search and Rescue and a help police helicopter are currently scouring the coastline for him. Campers at Oppenheimer Park in Vancouver's downtown east side were given eviction notice on Monday. They were offered housing and some of them took it, but not everyone has packed up. In fact, the number of residents may have even grown. Now, as Paul Johnson reports, the city of Vancouver has a situation that likely won't be solved anytime soon. Wednesday was the deadline for tents to come down in Oppenheimer Park. Sunday morning, it was clear that did not succeed. Global News counted more than 80 tents in the park and heard from residents who said a handful of new tents were actually pitched here over the weekend. Because it's a nice place to live. And the housing they're offering is garbage. While many, including city officials, would consider this encampment an unsanitary fire hazard. Those who live here take a very different view of it and of the options that have been offered to them. People feel more safe without the bed bugs, without the cockroaches, without any of the other lice and all that kinds of stuff. There's a lot of reasons why people here don't want to move to the housing that the city has arranged for them. But if there's any common thread in this, it's that they say they don't want to live under the rules they say are associated with subsidized living. For many here, it seems housing options that are conditional on following rules are taken as an affront to their dignity. And it's not just Vancouver. Cities up and down the west coast of North America right now are facing the same problem. Mild climates and political cultures that make them hesitant to dismantle tent cities without somewhere else for people to go. And often resistance when there is. No, proper ho housing, man. I'm, I'm not going to share my bathroom and my kitchen with other people. I want my own kitchen, my own bathroom, my own home. You know, just like everybody else lives. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Video is emerging of a violent West End arrest earlier this week that saw two Vancouver police officers bitten and punched. 
On Wednesday, officers near Sunset Beach say they were forced to use a taser on the 50-year-old man who they arrested after a brief foot chase. They were called to Pacific and Thurlow near the Vancouver Aquatic Center after reports a man was yelling and possibly hallucinating. Two female officers tried to arrest him, but a struggle ensued and they were allegedly attacked. The constable suffered scratches to her face and head and an injured arm. The sergeant also received cuts and scratches and a bitten finger. Police are recommending charges. A memorial was held at a West Kelowna skateboard park today, honoring the life of a teenager who drowned in Okanagan Lake last week. As Jules Knox reports, his family and friends are now raising money to help make the lives of other teens better. This skate is for Jackson Cahill, remembered as a happy-go-lucky guy with a smile that can move mountains. He jumped into the waters of Okanagan Lake a week ago, but didn't resurface. His death, a shock to family and friends. He's a fantastic guy. Just, uh, you know, had such a positive effect on so many people. He was fierce in his passion to live life to the fullest with the maximum adrenaline rush and the most fun. Hundreds of people heading to West Kelowna's Memorial Skateboard Park to remember the 15-year-old for his favorite pastime. It was his fuel to life, basically. He loved skateboarding. It was he loved it with a passion. And he's a superstar, right? He's he was phenomenal at what he did. Jackson's friends doing a lap in his honor, keeping him living on through memories and you know making sure that the legend doesn't die. And remembering his life in color. Jack's always wore an orange hat, so we all went and picked one up just to like always have a token, token of him with us. The family raising money for the Foundry Wellness Center, hoping they can help other teens find the help and support they need. I suppose I'd just like to see them happier. I suppose I'd like to see them caring for themselves and taking better care of themselves. The family, in the words of Jackson's father, trying to take the tragedy and turn it into something positive. Jules Knox, Global News, West Kelowna. Demonstrators gathered outside the women's prison in Maple Ridge in support of an inmate serving time for demonstrating against the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Supporters of Rita Wong gathered outside Alouette Correctional Center in solidarity with the poet and Emily Carr associate professor. She was sentenced to 28 days in jail for illegally protesting earlier this month on Burnaby Mountain. People are willing to put their lives on the line at this point for um, those water rights and land rights to be protected to stop this Trans Mountain pipeline. It was shut down just days before the PNE began, but today a popular Playland ride is back up and running. Fairgoers are lining up to ride the beast. On August 12th, it broke down mid-ride. Oil spilled onto thrill-seekers and those in line as its metal parts came to a grinding halt. Fortunately, no one was hurt. A spokesperson for Playland says they were able to order the necessary part from the manufacturer, and it was back in service on Saturday. Orcas spotted off the coast of Vancouver Island. A global viewer captured this video of the orcas surfacing near Oak Bay, east of Victoria. The three gracefully cut through the water, swimming parallel to each other before dipping back into the water. 
As we reported earlier, the water is inviting right now, but it can also be very dangerous. An Okanagan man found that out the hard way this weekend when he went paddleboarding. As Shelby Tom reports, Aaron Platt says he wouldn't be alive if it weren't for the quick actions of teenage lifeguards. An emotional reunion less than 24 hours after these teenage lifeguards saved Aaron Platz's life. I wrote you a letter and I have I wanted to give this to you. It all began Saturday afternoon. Aaron excited to test out his brand new paddleboard on Okanagan Lake near Peachland when a windstorm strikes. The wave caught me knocked me off the board. He struggles to stay afloat, thrashed by the waves, his shoes weighing him down. I just floundered in the water. I wasn't making any ground. I was being pulled under. My energy got zapped within a minute, probably. I, I Yeah, and that that's when I knew I was going to die. Amidst the desperation, Aaron thinks of the mother of his child and his son, who just turned one. When Daniel came into my mind, my heart broke. That's when he hears a voice. I got you and I rolled my head back and there she was. She is Allie Benedict, a new lifeguard who is working at the nearby Wibbit Floating Adventure Park. Got my arm underneath them, just pulled them to any sort of flotation on the park I could. We heard the words help. Alex Taylor also jumps into action, attending to the man in distress in this inflatable boat. Aaron was really disoriented and uh, very scared. Both lifeguards, just 18 years old, trained in first aid this summer. It's their first rescue. Just so grateful, like, there's nothing I could say to repay what they did. Aaron is assessed by BC Ambulance paramedics and released, returning to the park on Sunday to thank the young people who saved him. Emotional, to say the least. I don't know if it's really kicked in yet, but uh, it feels good and I'm just really happy for him and his family. Aaron says he also hopes others will learn from his mistakes to remove heavy footwear when entering deep water and to always wear a life jacket. Shelby Tom, Global News, Peachland. The clock is ticking for a young equestrian from the interior. The 10-year-old, who is legally blind, wants to compete at an event next week. But a recent ruling says she can't compete with the help of guides. And that has her mother struggling to find answers. Jordan Armstrong reports. She's talented and brave. Way to go, Kyra! Just 10 years old and a tad over 60 pounds, Kyra Barrett has no fear of horseback riding or eventing with the large animal, even though she can't see much of the course. It's the funnest thing ever. Kyra is legally blind. So it's her happy place when she has a bad day. She just wants to go out to her horses and then she comes back and she's in a way better mood. It's her therapy. When Kyra competes, she does so with the help of her coach who rides beside her on a guide horse. Not to give tips, but purely to help Kyra find the way. Something mom says Equestrian Canada was not only okay with, but took payment for. In March we got her certified, which means they approve all her aids that she needs. The guide horse, the visor she wears. Slow. But last week, Kyra's mom says she discovered that at the end of June, her daughter was reclassified by Equestrian Canada, meaning she's no longer eligible to ride with her guide. Her aides don't give her any unfair advantage. Actually, she's still, even with every aid we can give Kyra, she's still not on equal playing field as everybody else. It's just 
it's just not going to ever be. A devastating development that Kyra doesn't know about yet. But it will break her heart. All her buddies are going. The ribbons aren't for winning, they're for having fun. And you just go around the courses and just have a smile on your face. With less than a week to go before a major competition in Chilliwack, mom hopes someone at Equestrian Canada will have a change of heart. She just wants to be out there and be part of a quote, normal world where everything else in her life isn't normal. But when she's on the horse, she feels that she's equal to everybody. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Hong Kong police fired water cannons and tear gas at protesters today. 13 weeks of demonstrations have shaken up the city, though most have been peaceful. But it's the second day in a row police have used tear gas to break up crowds. Protesters once again responded by throwing bricks. World leaders hunkered down at a French seaside resort today on day one of the G7 summit. Our prime minister sat down with the U.S. president and top of the agenda economic trade relations. Abigail Beeman reports on the meeting, the relationship and why it matters for both sides. Donald Trump and Justin Trudeau met for about half an hour. With cameras rolling off the top, they talked trade, all about the Canada-U.S.-Mexico agreement that replaces NAFTA and still needs to be ratified. Sit down with President Trump. We've had uh, some good conversations already, particularly on the global economy. Uh, you know, the Canadian and American economy are doing well, partially because of the uh, uh, trading relationship we have and the great work we did. So we're going to be significantly expanding our trading relationship when the USMCA gets done and completed. Uh, our farmers love it, the unions love it, the workers love it, manufacturers love it, everybody likes it. I think most Democrats like it, so hopefully that'll be put to a vote fairly soon. Trudeau can be helpful to Trump with those Democrats who are pushing back on the deal in Congress. The Canadian side described the meeting as cordial, even friendly. They discussed China, both the situation of the two detained Canadians and the protests in Hong Kong, where they agreed on the importance of respecting freedom of expression and assembly. The president even congratulated Trudeau on the Toronto Raptors basketball win once again. A very tame photo op in a summit full of pressures for Trump, making headlines with other world leaders, announcing a trade deal with Japan, talking about another with Boris Johnson in a post-Brexit world. The relationship between Trump and Trudeau has come a long way since the last G7, hosted by Canada, where Trump left early, slammed the Prime Minister on Twitter as weak and dishonest, and then refused to sign the final agreement. With a Canadian election now just around the corner, the Prime Minister's goal is to leave the summit without any scuffles like last year, so he can try and sell a strong international performance to voters back home. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Biarritz, France. One of the biggest surprises today at the G7, an unannounced visit by Iran's foreign minister, whose plane touched down in Biarritz this afternoon. He went directly to meet with the host, French President Emmanuel Macron. Western policy towards Iran has been one of the most divisive issues at the summit. Nobody saw this coming. And what's really significant about it is something like this has not happened before in, certainly in recent memory in the G7, and really ever. This is a, this is a big diplomatic move on the part of the French host to advance the agenda uh, as concerns the, uh, the Iran deal. Macron has been trying to calm a deepening confrontation between Iran and the U.S. since Trump pulled the U.S. out of the Iran nuclear deal and reimposed sanctions. 
Another G7 topic, those wildfires burning up the Amazon rainforest. Today, the Brazilian military joined in the fight to douse them, but the efforts may not be enough. From the air and the ground, tonight the Brazilian military with orders to do what they can to stop the vast fires, to stop those clear-cutting the trees, some more than 400 years old. The rainforest destruction this year, historic. More than 2 million square miles, the so-called lungs of planet Earth, responsible for 20% of our oxygen, now say scientists at a tipping point. The Amazon is very important for climate security for climate stability to fight the climate crisis we are going through. In the last 40 years, an area the size of France destroyed to make way for farmers grazing cattle, planting soybeans. It was only after protests around the world and the hashtag Save the Amazon trended online that Brazil's president announced the crackdown. But many of Brazil's top scientists are skeptical. We are not sure whether only sending a few hundred or even a few thousand soldiers into the forest, it will be sufficient. In Bolivia today, a third day of water drops from the 747 super tanker. Based in Colorado, the crew flew directly from California. But the rainforest is a different type of fire, and they say the airdrops are not as effective. We're significantly outmatched and undergunned and just able to hang on with our fingernails to help them. Controversial anti-immigration billboards have been popping up across the country. And now, after fierce criticism, the company that owns the ad space says it will be taking them down. The ads tell people to say no to mass immigration and to vote for Maxine Bernier's People's Party of Canada, even though the party says it is not affiliated with the third-party group that paid for the billboards. Patterson Outdoor, a division of Jim Patterson Group based in Vancouver, earlier today stood by the ads, saying it did not find them in violation of the Canadian Code of Advertising Standards. But this afternoon reversed that decision. It says it will be informing True North Advertising Corporation on Monday that the ads will be removed. The U.S. is marking a somber anniversary this weekend, commemorating 400 years since enslaved Africans were brought to America. The landing in historic Jamestown on August 1619 is considered a pivotal moment that began a system of race-based slavery. Local and state leaders came together in the Commonwealth of Virginia this weekend to speak about the importance of remembering this painful time in history. What could be some welcome news for people who have to fly a lot? UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson says all major airports in Britain must have new 3D baggage screening equipment before the end of 2022. The government says the new technology will boost and speed up security checks and could see an end to liquid and laptop restrictions. Heathrow will be the first in the UK to roll out the 3D screeners. A homeowner in Toronto may want to beef up security. Police say a man left a photocopy of his face after an alleged break and enter in the city's north end. He then ate some food, leaving behind crumbs. Police are asking for the public's help to identify the man. Anyone with information is asked to contact Crime Stoppers. I figured we would hit up one of the animal cafes, and I'm glad it was the pig one. 
Oh, so cute. But it's not just pigs visitors are lining up to see. We check out the hottest trend in Japan these days. We'll have that right after the forecast. Yvonne, of course, down at the PNE tonight. And uh, Yvonne, I understand you're going to be having dinner with us tonight. Yes, and it's always good to come hungry, and this is the reason why. I'm going to be trying out the rice burger, which has a very busy line here uh, tonight. I'm with the co-founder, Jackson. Tell us a little bit about it. This is new to the fair, so what can we expect when I take a bite tonight? All right, so what you're going to want to do is when you eat a rice burger, because, you know, burgers are pretty messy, but here at Rice Burger, we have a saying, if it isn't uh, messy, it isn't a burger. We're not called rice sandwich. We're called rice burger. Now, as someone that has eaten three of those a day, every day, over the last year, I've done the math, folks. Uh, it's 1095 I know how to eat my food. One way I would like to say is you're going to take that burger, flip it vertically, okay. and you're going to pinch it at the sides to kind of act as a catch tray. Then what you're going to do is you're going to bite that burger, you're going to twist. You're going to bite, you're going to twist. And at the end, you're going to get to what we call the parachute bite. Tilt that head back, hop it down the hatch, and stay clean, and you get the RBE, the Rice Burger Experience. Okay, while I start to take a few bites of this, just tell us a little bit about how long you guys have been doing this for. Well, I, I'm going to pass you this. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, so we've been doing uh, Rice Burger now for about two and a half years. Am I doing this right? Yes, yes, yeah. Get in there nice and deep. Like, oh, yeah, it's that tender dark meat, 3.5 ounces. It pops a bit when you take that bite. Get in there. Yeah, so Rice Burger started off real simple. We started off as a delivery company, then became a storefront, and uh, now we're here at the fair. I'm going to get someone to get me a napkin. While I do that, you're just going to hold that for me, and I'm going to get to the forecast. You'll be busy here at the fair. Big lineup. Uh, congrats. I'm looking forward to trying that popcorn chicken as oh, well. Oh, absolutely delicious. Okay, thank you, Jackson. Okay, let's get to the forecast real quick. I need a napkin in between, but what we do have is a beautiful evening. If you're planning on coming down to the fair, we do have a few areas. Thank you, Jackson. We do have a few areas that are looking at some cloud cover and then clearing out, especially as we get into the afternoon. As we look at the temperatures, temperatures are sitting at 20 degrees with a southwesterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. Highs to the low 20s for most areas, 25 for a Soyuz Tofino at 19. Here's a glance at what we're anticipating. For most spots across the province, it's the northern half where we're seeing that moisture pushing in. Heavy at times for tomorrow. We will continue to see it across the northern half of the province. It's really the southern half that is looking at a ridge of high pressure that is building in place and very dry. Temperatures are going to soar. The peak of the heat across the south post will be Wednesday, Thursday. And for the interior, that'll be Wednesday through our Friday. So anticipate summer-like conditions. Temperature trend across Metro Vancouver. Wednesday up to 25 degrees with the humidex areas away from the water getting closer to 29. The Okanagan for the interior will see those temperatures into the low 30s and very hot approaching Friday with a bit of a reprieve approaching the weekend. The northern half of the province rain and heavy at times. Temperatures will be cooler at 15 degrees. There's breaks for the northeastern corners. Much of the central interior, it's sunny and dry. And it's the southern half of the province. We'll see that heat starting to build, but very hot for your Wednesday onwards. Whistler up to 24 degrees. The south coast tomorrow, sunny, dry, and warming up. Areas away from the water will be getting up to 26 degrees. With the humidex tomorrow, feeling closer to 29 degrees. The hottest days, Colleen, for Metro Vancouver will be our Wednesday and Thursday, our five-day forecast. Fantastic, plenty of sunshine. Colleen, I have to admit, behind the scenes, as I was doing the forecast, there was so much juice from this burger, so a heads up if you're planning on eating this, you'll definitely need to have some napkins handy. Back and to you. Very brave of you to wear white and eat, be eating burgers. 
Yes. Nice work. Thanks, Yvonne. They are hardly a new idea, even in Vancouver cafes, where you can enjoy your tea or coffee in the company of cats or dogs. But in Tokyo, they've taken the concept one or, or maybe even five steps further. Animal cafes are the hottest craze, and if you hope to visit one, you'll need to make a reservation well in advance. Tokyo is synonymous with hipster cafes. But at this posh establishment, admission is by reservation only, and there's a one-month waiting list. Tokyo has gone hog wild for the My Pig Cafe, starring a herd of micro-pigs. $13 buys you half an hour with the squealing creatures. Hoofing over from her native Canada, tourist Mercedes Pollock was in what else? Hog heaven. I figured we would hit up one of the animal cafes, and I'm glad it was the pig one. Ever since cat cafes sprang up a few years ago, Japan has seen an explosion of urban petting zoos with an ever more exotic cast of critters. Life in the big city can be pretty tough sometimes, so when people in Tokyo want to wind down, they get wound up in the friendly coils of a kunashiri rat snake, like Taisho. The snake charmed are mostly young and female. For owner Hisamitsu Kaneko, serving up drinks with a side of hissing reptiles is a personal calling. I was born in the year of the snake, he said. Headlining in Yokohama is the capybara, a rodent the size of a Labrador. A placid capybara jumps for its morning bath, but generally does little except munch and snooze. In the increasingly competitive animal cafe market, coffee and cute animals alone just doesn't cut it anymore. Enter hedgehogs and dollhouses, complete with bathtubs, paintings, and a candy store. But by far, one of the most lucrative of Japan's new breed of animal cafes features bandana-wearing Shiba dogs. Drawing hundreds of patrons seven days a week, the Mame Shiba Cafe is so mobbed, critics accuse it of animal abuse. Charges the company insists are unfounded. Of course the dogs would get stressed out if they worked non-stop, said staff member Saudi Kikuchi, so we bring them out in shifts and give them breaks. One thing is clear, this country is happily going to the dogs. I love that idea. Just imagining the lineups in the washroom, what that's like. Oh, very. There are no washrooms. <laughs> the restaurant's a washroom. <laughs> Thanks. What do you got coming up? Uh, we got some uh, golf coming up. Uh, Brooke Henderson looking to go back-to-back for the uh, CP Canadian Women's Open in her uh, home province of Ontario. So we'll have that coming up. They handed out the FedEx Cup. Someone won $15 million. Oh, like, those guys need the extra oh, cash, yeah. you know. So just, just in case they didn't feel like playing a little bit about money for them. So we'll have that. And a look back at the Lions. Another uh, Groundhog Day situation where they played well. Should have won, but didn't. But didn't. So, yeah. A mother bear and her two cubs were caught on camera wandering through the Quiquetlam First Nations golf tournament at the Swaneset Bay on Thursday. There they are. One of the cubs spots a golf ball, picks it up, takes a closer look, takes it to the hole. Yeah, almost drops it in as the crowd cheers it on. But I got to tell you, not the only infraction for this bear cub. It is believed the cub did not pay its green fees either. So, you know, very cute. You know, anytime we can see wildlife, we're happy about that. Well, hey, the golden bear played golf, but not black bears. Not the black bears. All I can come up with. I'm sorry. It's Sunday. All right. Thanks, Colleen. <laughs> we're going to stay on the golf course. No wildlife. 
just good players. Uh, Brooke Henderson had a very legitimate chance to defend her CP Canadian Women's Open Championship today in her home province of Ontario. She started the final round just two shots off the lead, but she just happened to be chasing the world number one player, Jin Young-Ko of South Korea, and today... Co showed why she's at the top of the heap, firing a flawless 8-under-64 to spoil Brooke's party. Huge crowds following Brooke all week, all eyes on her today, hoping they could give her the boost needed to chase down Jin Young Ko. Brooke was 1-under through 8, and then at the ninth, the birdie putt. Nicely judged, goes down, made the turn exactly where she started, though, two off the lead. But then Jin Young Ko put the pedal down. She birdied the 10th. And then her approach at 11 is five feet away. She would make that for birdie to get to minus 22 and a four-shot lead over Brooke. Meanwhile, Brooke with a bobble at the 11th, misses the short par putt, drops to 17 under. Now she is five back. Henderson does rally. She birdied the 14th and then from distance on 15, sinks the long birdie. Crowd like that, got her to 19 under par. But there would be no catching Jin Young Ko from 35 feet on the 17th. Makes her fifth birdie in eight holes on the back nine. And that pretty much sealed the deal. Both players getting a very enthusiastic welcome. Walking up 18. They're good friends off the course as well. Ko, who's already won two majors this year, adds another prestigious title. Birdies 18 to finish a tournament record 26 under. Did not make a single bogey the entire t- tournament. Jin Young Ko wins the CP Canadian Women's Open. Brooke Henderson finishes tied for third, seven shots back of Ko. Meanwhile, in Atlanta, long day at the Tour Championship. The FedEx Cup will be handed out today. Had to complete round three this morning after it was cut short by lightning storms yesterday. Brooks Kepka, great touch. Greenside at 18, that would lead to a birdie. Kepka had a one-shot lead on Rory McIlroy entering the final round. And Kepka maintained that lead until this tee shot on the seventh as he will hook that one into the trees. They looked for that ball, could not find it, so he had to re-tee it, ended up making a double bogey. And while that was going on, his playing partner, Rory McIlroy, from 23 feet, rolls in the birdie. A three-shot swing, so now McIlroy has the lead. Kepka never threatened after that, finished tied for third. Xander Shoffley, rather, also in the hunt at the 12th, 18-footer. He is just one back of McIlroy. But then Rory hits the turbo booster. His approach at 12 is real nice. The three feet made birdie. Now it's 17-under, and... Then at the 13th, a slippery downhill putt. Barely touches it. Perfectly judged. Just drops in for the birdie. 18 under and a four-shot lead for Rory. But he made it interesting. He bogeyed his next two. Lead cut to two. Staring at a third straight bogey. A clutch nine-footer for par at 16. That gave him some confidence at 17. That's a birdie. And at 18, why not finish it? with another birdie. Rory McIlroy, who won the FedEx Cup back in 2016, does it again in 2019, and he wins a record 15 million first place prize money. Canadian Corey Connors finished tied 26th and won 430,000 today. English Premiership, Manchester City on the road at Bournemouth. Already 1-0 City when they add to the lead late first half. Raheem Sterling finishing off a crisp pass from David Silva. Wonderful finish there by Sterling. 2-0 Manchester City. Second half now 2-1 and they put it away. Sergio Aguero with his second of the match 
City win 3-1. They're now up to seven points. They trail first place Liverpool by two points atop the table. And one other game, Spurs and Newcastle. Just one goal in this match, and it came from the visitors. Terrific through ball for the Brazilian, Jolinton, and he smashes it past Hugo Lloris. First win of the season for Newcastle. Shocking loss for Spurs, who are now 1-1-1 one, one, and, one, and already five points behind front-running Liverpool. Second bye week of the season coming off another game where they had every opportunity to win but just couldn't make the plays when needed. That has been the theme of this nightmare 1-9 start that has the Lions searching for answers yet again. Riley drops back to pass, looks to the right side of the end zone, and it looks like it's intercepted. It's the second interception for Mike Riley in this game. It's always frustrating. Every time, every time that you lose, it's frustrating, but uh, when, you're, when you're searching, you know, hard for a win um you know the games and we've had a number of them this year that you feel like uh you know you're in it and you've given yourself a chance to win but you you don't make the half a dozen plays that uh that would change the outcome yeah it certainly is frustrating there's no doubt it's another football game the bc lions could have and should have won bc putting up more yards on offense had the majority possession time more first downs than hamilton but once again have nothing to show for their effort Lions defense limited the Tabbies to just a single touchdown, yet BC heads into the bye week 1-9. and nine. It's the worst start to a Lions season in half a century. <laughs> this, this, this has been tough all season. Uh, and this, is, this has been the same story. It's tough, man. We're in it all game. Defense did a great job. Offense, we didn't show up when we needed to. Uh, so it's, it's, it's frustrating, definitely. Mike Riley is the CFL's unofficial king of pain. He'd be the first person to tell you that he can't throw a pair of interceptions in the red zone. It just can't happen when you're moving the chains. But this is also a quarterback who's practically under pressure every snap he takes. BC gave up seven more sacks last night to push their league-leading total of 43. We're going to assess everything over the bye, and we're going to assess there's no stone going to be left unturned. We're going to assess this thing from the top to the bottom. I'm going to assess myself, and I'm going to assess my staff, every position on that, and then we're going to assess every player. I mean, and then we're going to, we're going to meet together, and we're going to try to figure, we're going to figure this thing out. Good afternoon. CFL in Moncton, New Brunswick. Alouettes taking on the Argonauts. First time CFL back in Atlantic Canada since 2013. Over 10,000 watching a pretty good football game. Alouettes, Vernon Adams Jr. Little double reverse and then finds Quan Bray for the touchdown. Alouettes led 2016. Argos regained the lead, but back came Montreal. Former Lion Jeremiah Johnson. Been waiting for this all season long, scampering for his first major as an Alouette, a 25-yard game-winning romp. Alouettes take it 28-22. They're now 5-4, surprisingly. Argos are now 1-8. The NFL is still buzzing over the sudden retirement of Indianapolis Colts quarterback Andrew Luck. Luck hasn't had much luck with injuries in his career, missing an entire season due to shoulder surgery. He bounced back very nicely last year, throwing 39 touchdowns and being named Comeback Player of the Year. But more injuries in training camp this year led Luck to make the decision that he couldn't live with the constant pain. So at age 29, he's taking a knee. For the last four years or so, I've been in this cycle of injury, pain, rehab, injury, injury, pain, rehab. Uh, and it's been unceasing and relenting, unrelenting, both in season, both in, and off season. 
uh, and I felt stuck in it. And the only way I see out uh, is, is to, to no longer play football. Uh, it's, it's taken my joy of this game away. Jays and Mariners completing their series on a sunny Sunday in Seattle. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. signing some autographs for the thousands of Jays fans who made the trip, many of them from B.C. Clay Buckholtz got the start for the Jays, first one in a couple of months after injuries. Pitched pretty well over six innings, but did give up this solo shot to Dylan Moore. Buckholtz, three hits allowed and two runs on the day. The big star again for the Jays, Bo Bichette. The 21-year-old had two more hits today. He had eight in the series. This double is his 22nd extra base hit in his first 26 Major League games. No player has ever had that many in that time frame. He's hitting 351, but the Jays still lost 3-1. to one. The Little League World Series finale, Curacao versus Louisiana. Curacao beat Coquitlam earlier in the tournament, but they got shut down today by Louisiana. The American Southwest champs hit the cover off the ball. Reese Roussel with an RBI double, his tournament-leading 16th hit. Final out was a liner to the shortstop, and Louisiana wins its first-ever Little League World Series title, 8-0 over Curacao, and those boys are some kind of excited. Good for them. The U.S. Open starts tomorrow, but Milos Raonic will not be taking part. The 21 seed is withdrawn from the tournament, this time with a glute injury. Truly for Milos, the injuries have been a pain in the butt. He's had a myriad of them over the past couple of years. It strikes again on the eve of the Open. Oje Aliasim and Shapovalov play each other in the first round Tuesday. Vashik Pospisil also opens Tuesday. Jeannie Bouchard plays tomorrow. Bianca Andreescu, the 15 seed, plays on Tuesday. So... Too bad. Milos just can't get going. The injuries oh, enough already. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> Benny's Market is celebrating a century at the same location. This is one of my best customers. Oh, he calls me Mrs. B. Oh, it's easier to say than her name. The store Irma Benedetti's late husband, Benny, founded, was officially marking its 100th birthday, is officially marking it tomorrow. But staff hosted a party for customers today. Raymond Benny Benedetti began selling candy at his Strathcona store in 1919 before starting to import groceries and Italian products. But this year's big birthday is bittersweet. Benny, who was also known as the King of Strathcona, died in April at the age of 90 after retiring from the store in 2017. His family says he'd be proud to see it thriving. Any customer that comes in, you just treat them with respect and kindness, and I think that's the key. We're just being friendly with the customers. And I guess you have a lot of customers, regular customers? Oh, yes, yes, and they still come. Oh, hey, how are you? I think you just have to be able to change as your clientele changes. You have to listen to what your clientele is asking for. I would be really sad if Benny is shut down. Ah, oh, well, we got to keep shopping at Benny's. Mm -hmm. That's the trick. Love the family-owned stores. It's the best. It's the best. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks for joining us tonight. It's going to be sunny all next week. Have a great evening. <laughs>